to use it for your OnlyFans. <laughs> I wish, mate. Everyone turns the sound off when they're watching Joel anyway, so. <laughs> they ruin it once they open my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> no, only when you speak. Opening your mouth exactly what they're after. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to touch this? Do you want me to shake this? <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. Just doesn't it? work as well without Alex. It doesn't work. He, he throws off the whole flow of the. <laughs> I was going to say, just it just takes one of you to be off, and then it throws the rest of you. <laughs> it really <panic>. did. <laughs> I just saw Joel's eyes widen significantly. <laughs> then, like shit. <laughs> <laughs> just want to start off by saying, all of us here at Films on Trial wanted to say a massive thank you to all of you out there who have listened to our show so far. So this week, I forgot to actually tell you guys this before, but I'm telling you now. So this week we achieved 150,000 downloads. Oh, nice. Yeah, and we are just very incredibly grateful. You know, we absolutely love doing this podcast and we're glad that you guys actually like it and are willing to take the time out to listen to us five idiots insult each other on a weekly basis and then <laughs> sometimes maybe talk about films as well. So massive thank you very much. And to celebrate our achievements, we're kicking off a new season. And coincidentally, it's one that you've all been clambering for since day one. (laughs) Consider this our thank you present for getting us to 150,000 downloads because we're doing a Kevin Costner season. (laughs) I mean, I see you laughing, but you guys just don't know how many emails and tweets I've had to respond to from people asking about the cost man. You know, not, not even, not even sure? Kevin Costner requested a Kevin Costner one. Are you sure they weren't suggesting how much is this costing you to run the podcast? Maybe you should stop it. No, no, no. They were very specific. When are you going to do a Kevin Costner month? Why haven't you done a Kevin Costner month yet? For the love of God, please do a Kevin Costner month. I'm ignoring the fact that most of these requests came from Kevin Costner himself. But <laughs> <laughs> we're ignoring that. Because this week, we're putting the 1991 action-adventure film Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, on trial. Is it robbing from the rich and giving to the poor? Or is it robbing from the poor and giving to the rich? A.K.A. the Tory motto. <laughs> essentially, <laughs> essentially, I'm, I'm, I was going to apologize uh, for any Tories out there, but I will not. Uh, so essentially, <laughs> we're going to find out if this film will be placed on the esteemed hit list or the steaming shit list now before we go on our last film on trial was the suicide squad and joel you judged that trial and deemed that it should be placed on the hit list now you've since gone away and watched the film so did you make the right call i think just about i think it really toes the line like i'm really surprised by all the like 90 percent, 97 percent reviews that i've ever read i would have thought that this film would have been right up my street but I ended up agreeing with whoever it was that said these characters are just kind of introduced and you don't really feel anything for them. There's no backstory to them. All in all, I just didn't really care about who was watching. One or two of them were decent. 
and I thought the whole bit at the start where like Michael Booker and a few of the others just get killed everyone dies. Was, it was just <laughs> entirely pointless. I was like, okay, like these are the characters, you know, let's get into it. And then they just die. Like I just didn't see the point in it like at all. Um, I think it would have been much better if it was something like Marvel where, you know, they, ta- they take the time to build up their characters and introduce their backstories, all that type of stuff. Even if you think of like these TV series that are on at the moment, we're getting like a Kate Bishop one, um, you know, a US agent. We've got the new Captain America. They kind of introduce all their stories as they go along so that when they are in a film, you know, you care about them a little bit and it just didn't have that. So, yeah, I think it was like a six out of 10, maybe just towing the line of the hit and shit list. Mm. Well, uh, thank you very much for that, Joel. Yeah, now on to the trial itself. So all the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. And for once, um, I haven't actually written any insults about you guys. In fact, all what of, they're, all about, they're all about Alex. <laughs> no, no, they're not. No. <laughs> for once, I haven't written any insults. I've tried to be nice. What I've done instead is given explanations or descriptions of the merry men that you are that you are most like and i've got those descriptions from boldoutlaw.com which is a beginner's guide to robin hood and the merry men okay so, yeah I'll, I'll just so this is essentially how how we assemble films on trial every week i should just give a preamble here so robin hood uh, when the going gets rough Robin blows three great blasts on his horn, and that's when his merry men appear. I think that's how we start every episode. (laughs) So, (laughs) acting as defense and trying to get this film placed on their hit list will be Dave and Ozzy. Dave is just like Little John, a patient man whose calming presence has a steadying influence on the leader of the group's wild character. I like that. That's quite, that's generous. I know. Very generous. That's what I'm saying. I think most of these aptly describe you guys. So moving on. (laughs) And Ozzy is a bit like Will Scarlet, a musical scantily clad dandy, (laughs) obsessed with fashion and sometimes seen carrying a rose. (laughs) (laughs) Can't deny that, yeah. Yeah. You can't, can you? And acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be Alex and Joel. Now, Joel is just like Maid Marion, a strong-willed and noble figure who isn't afraid to speak their mind, and though they might try and hide it, are secretly in love with the leader of the group. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking this is too nice. There's going to be a curveball right at the end. (laughs) They should be careful coming in the shape of a cannonball for Alex. (laughs) <laughs> and Alex is a bit like Fry Talk. <laughs> a jolly, foolish, lecherous alcoholic. <laughs> he's not going to be happy when he listens to this. And he's bald. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Alex. Honestly, I am. I so, like, I, the thing is, is because I did, I genuinely did him last as well. So I did you three. And I was like, who am I left with Fry Talk? And that was the opening sentence. <laughs> I read the Marvels before to my wife, and she was like, you can't do that. That's too harsh. (laughs) So uh, good job he's not here. Apologies if you are listening. I don't think that, obviously. Maybe if we were talking about Alex 10 years ago, then it might have been (laughs) out. 
Anyway, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though, so stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. Now, this week, I will be playing the judge, and I have to decide which list this film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to me, and not using my own opinion. And I'm just like Robin Hood, irritable, argumentative, and moody, and my temper often gets the better of me. <laughs> That's very true. Not nearly as horrible as Alex is, but very true. I know I've been to hell before, and my wife was like, that's so apt. And <laughs> <laughs> you had that feud with that sheriff that time. <laughs> okay, now, before we get started, I think we should give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the Wheel of Impressions. I'm going to get an actual wheel for this because your wheel is just ridiculous now. What's wrong with this? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, unfortunately, it's landed on Alex. So I'm just going to go one next to him, which is Dave. <laughs> okay, okay. Do you, want drift, do you want to drift in and out of <laughs> awful English um, <laughs> and, and, and classic American? I, I <laughs> could do that. I so what we do, do here is we read off the synopsis of the film in style of one of the cast or characters from the film. So, yeah, uh, I see you were losing to Kevin Costner's... Costner's <laughs> yeah yeah it was th- i think it's that or um you could do it as um as richard the lionheart himself sean connery <laughs> yeah sean quality, connery. A quality scottish accent. i mean i'm gonna throw another one out there i'm gonna throw how about guy gisborne the guy Ooh. has a very distinctive voice oh yeah okay what's just like guy of gisborne yes yeah guy of gisborne aren't we all gisborne <laughs> I can't believe we we made it how long into the episode and there yeah, we are. Yeah, didn't have to wait too long. Right. Uh, what about the Sheriff of Nottingham himself, Alan Rickman? Have we not already done Rickman? We've done Rickman. Isn't, we? isn't Davis just made for Brian Blessed to be fair? Yeah, well, there's, right, there's so many options with this. I mean, my choice yeah. is Gisborne because I, I, I quote, I quote him all the time anyway. Okay. Yeah, but what thing is who, who plays a guy, guy, guy of Gisborne? Uh, Michael Winkup. Oh, yeah, go on, do Michael Winkle. Yeah. Google him, you'll know who he is. Yeah, yeah, the, okay. the crow. and uh, <laughs> Yes, yeah. yeah, you know the guy, you know the guy. Okay, so it's kind of a, a raspy English that he brought to this. Uh, let me have a go. When Robin and his Moorish companion come to England and the tyranny of the Sheriff of Nottingham, he decides to fight back as an outlaw. Wow, that was, that was, that was very good. I, honestly, the number of times when Cat walks in through the door, Loxley. Look home. <laughs> <laughs> you were made for that part. That's all you've been practicing ever that since. Was, yeah, that was brilliant, to be honest. That man. was really good. Yeah, you feel was... funny? <laughs> I have that effect. <laughs> no. Or rather, Michael Winker has that effect. Yeah, <laughs> no, that was good. Uh, okay, now quickly moving on. I think let's kick this trial off and let's start with a bit of an overview. Now, I know I was reading the synopsis for this film before. I was like, I don't think I've ever actually seen this film. I think I thought I'd seen this film, but what it turns out that I've seen is just the music video for everything I do, which essentially <laughs> contains a brief synopsis of the film. So yeah, I, so I'm, I'm completely new to this. I have no prior knowledge. So Dave, can you please give me an overview of the film as the defense? Mm-hmm. And then just give me a very brief a summary of why you think this is an amazing film, why it should be on the hit list. 
Okay, sure. So basically what you've got here, you've got a 1991 attempt at the retelling of the folktale of Robin Hood. Bear in mind, this is not history. It is merely folklore. So, you know, you can have a bit of fun with it. Um, and I think what this film brings to the table is it was one of the best action films of the early 90s. In my humble opinion, of course, the prosecution may disagree. But you've got Kevin Costner playing uh, Robin Hood. And he basically comes back from the Crusades to find that his land, you know, his father's land has been seized by the sheriff of Nottingham. Uh, his father was executed on these trumped up charges of, of witchcraft and devil worship. Uh, so he's basically forced into the life of an outlaw and meets these other outlaws, these other men, farmers, simple folk that have had their land stolen or that have been pushed out, that have been charged with crimes. And he bands them together to basically take uh, take on the sheriff of Nottingham himself, take on the man who has seized these lands from them and has put them out into out, into exile. So that is essentially what the film is about. You know, also his uh, bit of context, his, his loyalty to King Richard the Lionheart, who is still away on the Crusades, leaving England to kind of deteriorate to its governors and sheriffs and what have you. And yeah, it was basically one of the best action films I think I, I have ever seen. And, you know, the reason why I love it is you've got some great performances here, you've got some great direction. It's just a well-made film throughout. The script, I thought, was great. And, you know, we're going to go all into all of this in much more depth, as much depth as you need us to. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just, yeah, I stand by this film as probably one of Kevin Costner's best. I mean, that's surely a short list, is it not? Well, a relatively short list, yes. But it's, it's, it's still, <laughs> still. <laughs> the Untouchables is on there somewhere. Oh, true, true. Okay, Joel, Dave, I mean, quite amazingly described this as one of the best action films of all time. How are you going to come back with that? Um, just by saying it isn't. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> okay, so it's a long film. Like, I hadn't watched this since I was, you know, growing up. And I think a lot of people, you know, Dave especially, has got, like, fond memories of this maybe as a child, like, watching it. And I think that's where this film kind of goes wrong. I think when you look at it, you're coming into this fresh maybe as you will be doing this coming week, you see it for kind of what it really is. And that is, it's very, very much of its time. Like I think it's 143 minutes. There's a lot of just kind of absolute dross in there between the action sequences, between all the kind of actual plot points and moving the plot along and things like that. There's just there's times in this film where you're just so now completely because there's nothing really much that's going on. It's a very odd kind of, plot pacing the action is okay but it's very much again of its time like there's it's like choppy camera work and things like that like it'll shoot an arrow you won't see the full flight of the arrow you'll just see like him shoot an arrow and then it'll flip to like where the arrow hits on the wall that type of thing um and again it's just very much one of those films where you're left kind of wanting a little bit more and with robin hood especially it's been told so many times that I would have liked maybe a, a little bit of a fresh take on it, whereas this was just run-of-the-mill. Like, he, he has to get the, the throne back from Alan Rickman's character, the Sheriff of Nottingham. He falls in love with, uh, you know, Maid Marion. And there's just nothing really in here where you go, okay, that, that was a little bit different. It, it, it just feels like you've, you've seen this or heard this tale, you know, many, many times before, especially if you're English. And again, like... Why the hell did they even cast Kevin Costner, an American person, as an English folk hero? So 
there's just a lot of questions to ask it about this film and none of them really come off you know in a positive light for me so you wanted a sort of modern day spin on it you wanted a bit more of a fresh take so it doesn't have to be completely different but i just think you know robin hood going after the sheriff of nottingham ending up with maid marion it's it's just bog standard there's absolutely no adventure in there there's no kind of risk taken or anything like that he's just played it extremely safe um and yeah i just would have, would have wanted more you know risk taking more excitement type of thing would you want more i don't know parkour and david beckham parkour would have been good actually like if there's any film that's built for parkour it's robin hood okay yeah. well, I'm, I'm just describing the 2018 guy guy richie version of it <laughs> Because <laughs> it sounds like that's the film you want, man. I think that's the film that, that and you know, so and, and for me, that's that's fine. This is not a film for ever, absolutely everyone. But in '91, mate, this was the film for everyone. literally everyone. <laughs> for everyone, literally everyone in in the '90s. Because, and I think I think Dave like smashed it, absolutely hit it on the head. There is that this was just a great action film, like of its time, and and. Not in all cases, but in most cases, each scene still holds up pretty well today. I was incredibly uh, impressed, actually, because I first I watched the trailer, and the trailer on Amazon is in standard definition. It's square, and my God, I thought we were going to be like watching a film shot on a potato for, for you know, the, the 140-odd minutes that, that Joel was saying. But they've done a great job with upscaling it because they've gone back to the original uh, film work. So it's it's in full HD, and I think for that you can even um, you can appreciate the effort they've gone to with with costumes and lighting and the way it's shot, because it's you know it's it's absolutely it's crisp. The aging is is less noticeable in in those instances because it's still you know it's absolutely crystal clear. And do you know what? It's it's great. Like from the off, where he's captured in the um, in the dark dungeons in. Um, in Jerusalem. in Jerusalem, and he's uh, and they have to get out. That's like peril straight from the off. You know, a man gets his hand chopped off, and then it is sort of you see the first instances of Robin Hood and his character. You know, he's a man who's been hardened through war and he's matured uh, through the Crusades, and it sets him all straight up there because he's willing to sacrifice himself for his friend. His friend is uh, is already close to death and wouldn't survive having his hand chopped off and he's like so when it comes to be taken as the next one along he puts his hand out he says no take me instead unfortunately that means that they're just going to kill them both anyway and there's your first action scene is a chase scene through the dungeons of jerusalem to get out so he saves morgan freeman's life by getting him out of the dungeon morgan freeman pledges his life to him and then says until i've saved your life uh i follow you to the end of the earth and that's um becomes like quite a good partnership they head back to england and i think it's got a great and i was gonna say i don't need to know everything that happens in the film but i think i think you do but but anyway (laughs) but i think it sets it sets up a good bit because when you get back to england that's when people um who knew him when he left they keep alluding back to him being a you know the boyish sort of scampish character and i think that's maybe a little bit of a allusion to the um to the version of robin hood which we we kind of know, you know, even the, the cartoon version of Robin Hood, that sort of uh, that sort of playful, you know, more playful character. In this, he's a little bit wittier. He's very clever. And I, I just think it's a great, exactly what Dave said. There's so much action. It's a bit gruesome at times, but it's, um, I think it plays it well. Great film. Does anybody say, wow, 
how long were you away at the Crusades? Because your accent sounds really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> they don't, but they should do. <laughs> okay, so Ozzy mentioned there that this is more of a sort of witty, a snappy Robin Hood that we've seen before in the past the iterations of Robin Hood. They've always always been sort of adventurous. They've always been action heavy. But he says that there's actually. Oh, okay. Oh, no, sorry, I mean, this guy is action heavy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but yeah, I, I got that as well, but I, I thought the, the thing that interested me is, so the uh, the Robin Hood films that I'm aware of are the Errol Flynn ones, where it's all about the action, all about the adventure, but maybe less about the script. So I want to learn a little bit more about the script. Ozzy says that there's a lot of humor in here, and I want to just develop, uh, well, to focus a little bit more on that. So can I start with Joel? Yeah, I mean, is this a good script, uh, as he was saying, or... or are there really good interactions between the characters? Does the plot make sense? I mean, the plot does make sense, but that's because, as I say, it's bog standard. Like, Robin Hood gets his band of merry men and they go and take on the Sheriff of Nottingham. Like I mentioned before, there's no surprises in there. There's no, like, big plot twists or anything like that. So the script makes sense from that point of view. But the script itself, I thought, was pretty lackluster. I think it's boring in places, like Kevin Costner especially, You've already mentioned his accent there. You know, an American man playing like an English folk hero just doesn't work for me. An extremely baffling decision. You've got Alan Rickman who just hams the shit out of it. Like Sheriff of Nottingham, I understand, you know, he's a bit of a kind of dastardly character. You you know, you might see that type in the theatre and everyone's like booing them and that type of thing. And that's exactly the type of performance you get as if he's walking out onto a theatre and you're expecting people to boo his character, and he, he does that throughout the whole thing. But in terms of like the whole wider arc and script, as I say, I think there was definitely room for improvement. I just feel like this whole blank slate that you could have had with Robin Hood, and he just filled it with the bog standard stuff, just kind of leaves you... I don't know, you're just kind of bored a little bit. You have like the set pieces where they infiltrate the castle, that type of thing. And then there's this whole kind of sequence after it, which is more or less just talking. Um, and it's those type of moments where the script needs to be a little bit snappier and a little bit quicker to kind of push you along between the set pieces and push you along the plot to get there a little bit quicker. But it just kind of drags you out of the film a little bit just because it is so slow. And some of the dialogue is, it's like a mixture of slow and over the top hamminess, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I just feel like it could have been a lot better. And if you're going to stick to that old-fashioned formula, it needs to be kind of spot on. And we say it in several films, if you're going to do something that many people have done before, it needs to be absolutely perfect to stand out, and I don't think that this was. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks, Joel. Uh, Dave, how would you argue against that? Joel says that the script needs to be snappy, it needs to be quick, it's slow and hammy. I think the original draft of the script might have been uh, as such, to be honest with you. I think um, there's some great scenes that they wrote in this, but a lot of the film, as Joel says, the dialogue may have been sluggish. But the way they got around that is the director, Kevin Reynolds, basically gave the cast free reign to expand on their characters, to develop their characters and to change the dialogue into what they thought would befit their characters more. Alan Rickman was basically allowed to do whatever he chose to do with this, and he decided to make it more comedic. You know, he's still a dastardly villain. He was voted, I think, fourth best movie villain of all time, the Sheriff of Nottingham character, outranking Alan Rittman's own Hans Gruber, I think, came in at 11th. 
And although he's funny and you are laughing at how comedic he can be, he's still a villain you absolutely despise. He still does a fantastic turn. I absolutely disagree that he hams this up. He he hams it up, but to the right amount. He is so watchable in this. You know, he won a BAFTA for this performance. It was that good. You know, he he tried to steal the film, and I think it was only the editors that uh, prevented him from doing so. But it's a fantastic turn from him. And letting the actors do what they want to do with the script, to change bits of dialogue if they didn't think it worked themselves, that's what brings this film back from the brink. And that's why you've got such good dialogue in here. You've got genuinely funny moments, real moments of pathos as well. Moments where you start feeling for these characters, you know, along the way. Joel said before, you know, there were there were duff moments along the film. You know, you've got an action set piece, but then you've got um, sluggish bits in between. I don't believe those are sluggish bits. I think this is building characters and building the world around you. It's important context for the plot. It's important character development. It's important to know your character's motivations and where they come from and what have you. And I think that is the, the sluggish bit that Joel refers to. And I think it works brilliantly in this. Uh, and it just makes the performances even better that you have that time to really flesh these characters out and make them feel real because this has been done so many times before. There've been so many Robin Hood films that have gone on before and there've been a couple since, to be honest with you. You know, it's a, it's, it's a filmmaker's dream to get a legend like this where it is only folklore, not history. It's not set in stone. You've got the chance to, to make it your own and put a fresh take on it. And that's what this film does. You know, turning the, the Sheriff of Nottingham not just into an, an ambish, ambitious governor, but a devil worshipping man with very sinister ulterior motives, you know, raised by a witch, they say, and, and things like that, you know, bringing this incredibly sinister aspect of the character was really fresh and different. Bringing in Morgan Freeman's character as a Muslim soldier that it owes uh, Robin Hood's character a life debt. Now, that had only been done in a TV series before, but this film decided, you know, let's make it more mainstream. We like the idea of that character. Let's keep him in. It did plenty of things. It brought plenty of fresh ideas to the table things that some adaptations have kept in themselves since. So I think it made some good points and was certainly original. So this is just folklore. It's not history. Mm, I feel there's a joke coming here. No, it's just, it's just folklore. It's <laughs> legend. I think the guys at boldoutlaw.com would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel I'm being set up here. <laughs> right. Okay. So Joel, is there anything on that that you want to come back on? I mean, I suppose it's two different points of view, but in the end, I came into this with fresher eyes, I would say, than perhaps Dave did as growing up with this film, like loving it. I'd maybe compare it to something like National Lampoon. Again, me and Dave absolutely loved that growing <laughs> up. Then Alex watched it for the first time and he absolutely, he slated it and he saw it. He saw a completely different film than what me and Dave, you know, have grown up with and loved. And I think perhaps people coming into this with fresh eyes would, would be exactly the same. They'd see it completely differently to how Dave perhaps has watched it in the past. And those sequences where they are trying to flesh out the characters for me, they, they just didn't work. Those were the sequences where I, I turned off. Um, so yeah, two different points of view, I think. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Joel. Ozzy, you were banging on before about how great the action was. As I said before, I know Robin Hood, Errol Flynn, swinging across a hall on a bit of cane or on a bit of a, a chandelier, stabbing people in the chest. It's all, it, that, I'm talking about the film, not just talking about Errol just Flynn. Just Errol, Errol. That's, just how we, that's how we got the job as Robin Hood, wasn't it? Because that was his life. So, so this is a very action-heavy character. Whenever you think about Robin Hood, you think about action. So just you set out... One of the early action scenes. Can you flesh out some more of it, please? 
I mean, there are there are quite a few big big set pieces, but the, probably the the biggest for me. I mean, uh, and probably for everyone is it's really the thing that's getting set up for is when the men have been captured and they're ready for the hanging. It's a brilliant, you know, it's just a, a great set piece. So you've already had a massive set piece just before it, where um, where the sheriff of Nottingham and his men come through and destroy Sherwood Forest to to capture all the men. So that's a big scene, fire full-on, you know, warfare, essentially. You know, very action-heavy, a lot of jeopardy in that scene where people are getting captured. And so this piece now is is really the... How do we pick up our pieces and get through to it? So some of the key members, one of them being a, a young boy, are ready to be hanged. So in this scene, there's a lot of cunning where they actually sneak through all the, all the armed guards. They try and get their weapons through because it's, you know, the, there's no weapons in here because the Sheriff of Nottingham is absolutely paranoid. So they trick him in order to get the weapons into the site. Into the site, got these barrels of gunpowder, which they're just like sneakily setting around. So it's just like a really clandestine method of of getting into the castle. And then the, obviously explosions galore, things go wrong. But that scene in particular, I think, was just very well shot, and it builds up and builds up and builds up, and he kicks off and causes a big commotion. And during that commotion, it ruins everything because now one of the barrels of gunpowder has got Will Scarlet's head attached to it so they can't blow that one up now um so they have to change the plan and they quickly start hanging people so you get the shot that I'm, i think this is the iconic arrow shot from um that you've seen so many times but it's you know an arrow through an arrow basically so you've seen that a couple of times under zero pressure uh when he's practicing early on in the film and now you've got it for real is that the, the boy wolf is he's hanging he's literally just been kicked off the stool but, you know he's got minutes at best to live fires the arrow and it hits the rope just hanging by a thread he fires a second arrow and he cuts him down and then from that moment on there's probably i think it's about seven or eight solid minutes of action chase action bombs it's everything you can expect from a 90s action film but set in olden times thanks thanks uh, ozzy um dave Yes, uh, Wolf, any relation to Wolf from Gladiators? Yes, I believe this was uh, 800 years before he got the Gladiators job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I always thought he looked around seven, 800 years old. Yeah, <laughs> but now you know. <laughs> so, Dave, one thing I think, and it, it may be because I, I've overseen this type of scene, but mm-hmm. the old somebody hanging you know somebody firing an arrow or firing a bullet and it gets the rope cutting the rope yeah it's a bit of a cliche now but how how well is it filmed because it feels a little cliched to me it is cliched now i put it to you that it wasn't cliched when kevin reynolds did it for robin hood prince of thieves those cliches that you were talking about they're cliches now because this film was quite influential this film was box office gold you know this was one of the biggest films of 1991. Everyone saw it and saw how well it was done. These shots with the arrow. Yeah, but the, the folklore says that Robin Hood could split an arrow uh, with another arrow, you know, and they show that in this film. There's a couple of throwbacks to the legend. You've got to keep it true to the legend to a point, while at the same time bringing something fresh to the table. So the, the way these shots are, are compiled, they seem cliched now, but I would honestly say I think the films that you've seen since that have done it, Mm-hmm. owe a debt to Kevin Reynolds' style of shooting for this Robin Hood Prince of Thieves film. And also just to add on action before we close the chapter on that one, I want to remind everyone this is all stuntmen. There was no, there's only one shot of CGI and that is 
the uh, the camera angle following the arrow as it's about to split another one. This is all original stuntmen. That's real fire. There's a real man swinging on ropes and what have you, fighting with swords. It's real sword play. You've got to give it to them. They did. They they shot a good action sequence mm-hmm. multiple times over. Be it the attack on the outlaws' camp, the attack on the sheriff's castle, the escape from Jerusalem at the start, uh, the battle with the sheriff's men. You know, by Hadrian's Wall. You know, whatever it may be, these multiple action set pieces are shot very well and done with very talented stuntmen. Okay, so Joel talking about the action. That all sounds pretty good to me. I mean, yeah, it sounds a bit cliched in the beginning, but. They've kind of justified why I would think that. And at the time, these were actually quite influential. He said all about the practical effects. I really like practical effects. All stuntmen, real fire, real sword play. I'd come back at that. I would say that it's not. Although it is practical effects, it also isn't. It's like I said before, like, for example, when Kevin Costner fires arrows, a lot of the time it'll be like Kevin Costner pulling back, fire an arrow, you know, then it cuts to like a man getting an arrow in him. You'd never see like him fire the actual arrow you never see it like fly through the air or very sparingly do you ever see that um like the big battle scenes i think there was one where um the sheriff of nottingham and his men are attacking like the village there there's like riders on horseback with axes and things like that you never really feel like the axes and things like that are connecting with the actual villages it feels like the riding round and it feels like you you can almost hear him go like bonk bonk it's it's very like half arse if you like like the the actual bad guys when they're attacking the villages when they're attacking robin and his men it's you just don't feel like the the kind of violence you know compared to something maybe a little bit more modern like i don't know like the the born films or something when you see like the 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 hand-to-hand combat and things like that you can almost feel it you know when you're watching it because it is so kind of visceral and it's just very well done whereas this it's just i would say maybe they should have used cgi because i just don't think the practical effects worked overall um again you know dave says the fire you know i can tell that it's real but it's the same thing like uh, people pull back bows with fire arrows on and then it'll just you know clip to a village that's on fire type of thing you never see them like fry through the air and then mm-hmm. actually hit these buildings i think a lot of it was just maybe it was budget i don't know but it just seemed to me like for the time it could have been a lot better Okay, Dave, Joel made it sound a little bit like it looks a bit dated and maybe for the the budget, it could have been a little bit better. Do you disagree? Um, No, I'd say for the budget, this was the best. This was like nothing people had seen before. They were making a blockbuster here and they knew from the word go, this is what the studio wanted. They were making a big film that they were hoping would bring a lot of revenue in. And with that in mind, they had the budget to spend. It wasn't that they were had any financial constraints. This is just how it was done back in 1991. Bear in mind, this film's 30 years old now. We've come a long way since then. CGI has come along leaps and bounds and made practical effects kind of redundant. But these are the practical effects that we used to have in the late 80s, early 90s. A mm-hmm. lot of films were done this way. And you know, it's done a great effect in here. And also, I think we, when it comes to the level of violence, like Joel was saying, you know, you don't see you know, like an arrow through someone's neck or something like you don't see uh, anyone getting an axe embedded in them, that sort of thing. Um, That ties into what I was saying about this being a blockbuster as well. They wanted this to be relatively family friendly. You know, they wanted to keep it light. That's why there's the humor in there. This wasn't meant to be overly violent. There's violent in it as far as there's action scenes. There's people fighting with swords and people getting shot with arrows. Sure. 
but the blood is very toned down. There isn't actually very much blood in it at all. There isn't any anyone getting a sword through them or an axe embedded in them, anything too gruesome like that. They weren't going for that. They were going for more mainstream appeal. So although it's an action film, it's an action film where they thought, you know what, let's not show visceral gore. Let's not make this unnecessarily violent. You know, it's an action film. Let's show action, but let's not get carried away. Let's try and make this available for, you know, the preteen market even. This was only a PG in the UK. You know, they, they really did make a point of like, we want this to be the family blockbuster, which it was, can I just add. Well, that's great. Thank you very much, Dave. So Dave before was waxing lyrical about Alan Rickman. Uh, he said that he won a, a BAFTA for his performance and it, it, it sort of walked the line maybe very, very closely from pantomime villain, <laughs> but didn't cross over into that, but instead was sort of like over the top, but very villainous as well. Joel, can you tell me anything more about any of the other actors or any of the other characters, perhaps? Well, I mean, you've got Kevin Costner, who I've mentioned, an American actor playing an English legend. His accent is not up to scratch. At what point, you know, did they think it would be a good idea to cast him as the lead character? I think even if you wanted to get people into the gates to fill the theatres and things like that, there were probably more bankable actors at the time than Kevin Costner and maybe even more bankable English actors. So having him as the lead was just ridiculous and i don't think he does it justice either i think there's a complete lack of emotion on his face at most of the points in the film um it doesn't really seem like he cared about the character at all i think morgan freeman as azim i think he's called it is very good you know that it's rare to see morgan freeman do anything poorly and it's the case again here made marion i mean forgettable to be completely honest like she's got a complete lack of i would say any meaningful dialogue um at most points in the film she's there just to kind of be kevin costner's you know love interest i would say she doesn't really have any anything impactful that that goes on other than the fact that she's rescued and she's taken hostage uh christian slater I, he's so hit and miss isn't he and i think at this point in his career like it was it was mostly miss he he played will scarlet he does have some kind of good points to him in that he's young and you do kind of feel that almost hot-headedness the fact that like he doesn't really you know think about things before he does them and that's really all i can think of that i mean you've got brian blessed in here he's he's brian blessed he's the same in every film he's in um and then you've got incredibly good <laughs> I'm not going to argue that, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got people like, um, you know, Michael McShane as Friar Talk, who, meh, kind of forgettable. Alan Rickman, I've already kind of touched on. I think he strays too far onto the pantomime villain side. And I think part of it as well is the costume that he's wearing. It's this, like, very black suit, and it's all very frilly around the neck, um, which you could say it's of the time. And that type of thing but we haven't really spoken about costumes and i would say yeah, they aren't that great it's very much what you'd expect if you walked into like a role playing you know battlefield in like a, a field or something like that if they did have big budgets i would have expected more and i think if alan rickman wanted to be this villain villainous character like his costume maybe should have been a, a little bit different because it's hard to take him seriously when he's wearing it 
at least Robin Hood's is kind of what you'd expect from Robin Hood's without wearing, you know, tight tights. So, yeah, I think all in all, it's a relatively poor bag for me, I, w- I would say. I, I beg to differ, man. I, I'm not sure whether you talk much about Morgan Freeman. <laughs> so bag. <laughs> but, mate, even, even the great Roger Ebert says that Morgan Freeman absolutely finds the humour when it's needed, courage when it's required. Mate, he... I did. Well, Morgan Freeman, Morgan Freeman I actually said was good. Nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. And you know what? And between him and Rick Min, what did what did Roger Ebert say about uh, Kevin Costner? Just by chance, he said other than the accent, it was uh, you know he did a fairly good job. Okay, right. So, so we're all in agreement that Morgan Freeman is amazing. Yeah, yep. no surprises there. Alan Rickman. There's some questions as to how over the top he went. Some say that he, he just about kept it under. Others say that he, he went massively over. But at the end of the day, I think that sometimes you need an entertainment entertaining performance like that in a film like this. Yeah, the, the big question for me is, is Kevin Costner. It doesn't sound, from what Joel was saying, like he gives a good performance in this. Now, I, I haven't seen too many Kevin Costner films, to be honest. I don't really think that he delivers massive performances in any of his films he's always like a little bit laid back or a little bit stoic so is it is it the same here or does he do it differently i mean is the accent it's, that much of an issue yeah the accent is not really an issue you you're over it pretty quickly to be honest with you because you get lost in the in the film and he is you know he is playing that sort of kevin costnery more laid back cool guy sort of vibe not what you would expect if you're used to um Robin Hood as a cartoon fox or Robin Hood, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as Errol Flynn. You know, it, it, it is a different Robin Hood in that sense from a, a characterization point of view. But in this instance, I think it works. It, there's a little bit of realism to him as a, as a character and a little bit of 90s heroism almost. You know, it's kind of what you would expect from a blockbuster hero. Um, okay. of, of this time. I, mean, I think Dave may, may differ, actually, his opinion, I think. So, sort of, of like that 90s action hero, Nicolas Cage in Face Off or The Rock type thing. That Dave... Was a bit mm-hmm. less shouty than that one, but yeah. <laughs> Same flowing locks, though. Locksley, you might say. <laughs> so, Dave, how, how would you describe him? There is that element of stoicism. That's just the way Kevin Costner performs, though. You know, he is always very laid back, very cool typical 90s leading man to be honest with you that's what he was that's why he was the top of his game at this point the only thing you can really criticize about kevin costner's performance here is the accent and the fact that he doesn't attempt one apparently he tried they got a dialect coach in to try and teach him the english accent it wasn't working it it wasn't good enough so the director said no you know what just use your normal voice and that i think was a very brave decision and one that paid off if kevin costner had attempted that british accent like he planned to throughout the whole film it would keep coming back to bite you and keep coming back to haunt you and you keep getting drawn out of the moment by this horrendous attempt at an english accent because he keeps his own voice even though his accent is american you've forgotten about it within five minutes and you you are on with the film and enjoying the film and it doesn't take you out of it after those first couple of minutes where you know it's got an american accent you don't notice it again if he'd attempted the accent, it would have been a huge misstep. But that's ultimately what he got criticized for, not attempting the accent, even though he wanted to. Kevin Costner may not have been the most bankable star, as Joel was saying, but he was passionate about this project, passionate about 
bringing Robin Hood to life because it had been a while since a, a full, you know, silver screen adaptation had been done. He was the right man for the job in that regard. He took this project seriously so much so he helped produce it and ultimately helped edit it as well. He was that passionate about getting it to the, the final cinematic release. Just quickly on Rickman, you know, you say, you know, some people say he kept it just under. He goes full blown on this. This is a passionate performance from Rickman. And it's honestly one of his defining moments on the silver screen. You know, this is Rickman at his best. Full-blown, campy, villain you love to hate. You know, it's like Hans, it's second ago at Hans Gruber. And this was a superb turn from him. I'll say no more. Michael McShane as Fry Tuck, I thought was a revelation. Uh, yes. I only, I only know him from um, Whose Line Is it anyway. anyway? Yeah, he was an absolute revelation of this. Now, here's a guy who did get the accent and nailed it, you know, because he is American himself. He's from Boston. Uh, but I thought he was brilliant as Fry Tuck. You know, he and he's funny in this as well. He got real some real... humor to it. Yeah, he's, he's just superb in this. You know, the supporting cast in general do a really uh, good job. And the characters as well are well-written. Maid Marion, I disagree that she has nothing impactful to say. She's a very strong character, very strong-willed character. Because of the death of her brother, she's basically inherited the lands of the family, and she has to look after the people. That is why she won't give in to the sheriff. That's why she's fighting her own resistance against him, because she feels this responsibility towards the people that look to her as liege lord now that her brother has passed. So she's a very determined character, and she doesn't just fall at Robin Hood's feet. She, she despises him. And that ties into his character as well. He was an arrogant young man. He was brash. He was a bully. He had no sympathy for people. You know, you'd never have seen him robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. He was not generous. He was a horrible piece of work. The war changed him, the horrible things he saw. But she remembers him as the bully he was and does not fall at his feet. She actually gives him a good run for his money before eventually seeing that he has changed as their characters develop together. It gets a little damsel in distress towards the end, I will admit. But up until that point, this was a very strong character and a good heroine for this film. And I thought Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio does a very good job there. Nick Brimble as Little John, I thought was great. Geraldine McEwen as the witch, the sheriff's mother, was fantastic. Brian Blessed, I love. Little cameo from Sean Connery. Morgan Freeman, as we said, was fantastic. And also, you know, uh, they said it was a bold move bringing um, a character like him to the, to the screen. There was, um, I don't know if you've heard of Jack Shaheen who is an Arab-American writer. He does a, a lot of work on uh, discussing film and writing journals on film, particularly the depictions of Muslim characters in them. And there's, there's been a lot of bad stuff in these depictions over the years. But he said of this one, Morgan Freeman's portrayal of Azim was very positive. Uh, in fact, Azim was portrayed as a devout Muslim and also an intelligent, decent man who fights against tyranny. You know, this was a really well-written character. And I think, you know, although the performances themselves are great, the way the characters are written and the gift it gave to the actors to really take them to the, the next level and do something different with them. We talk about Errol Flynn, but what can you really say about Robin Hood's personality in those films? Here you've got a rounded character with a past, a present, and a future. Okay. So, yeah, I think that's, that's everything that I want or I need. Is there anything else that you want to add that we might have missed off in the sort of final points? Can I start with uh, Joel? Um, I mean, not especially. I would just say, once again, that I think it's the people that grew up with this film that have fond memories of it. And I think potentially are prepared to look past its flaws because watching this, you know, fresh-faced, you can just see it for what it is. And that is, even of its time, I think it could have been a lot better. And uh, it seems to me like it was made in the 80s you know, late 80s rather than the the early 90s, that type of thing. And 
I just would have expected more, especially from the cast as well. I think even the people who love this film can't really deny that a lot of the acting is poor in there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I would have, I would have expected more looking at it on the tin. Okay. And Ozzy, anything else that you want to add? Uh, nothing from me. I think we have absolutely covered this. I think you will adore this movie because you are a man of absolute taste, um, as as evidenced by your beautiful shirt today. Um, I was going to say, we both know that that is a lie. <laughs> seen what I'm wearing. You've seen my DVD collection. There's no way that anybody could use yeah. the word good taste to describe me. <laughs> In the same sentence as Gavin. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I've, I've got nothing extra to add to this, to be honest with you. Okay, thank you. Dave? All, all I've got to say is, you know, look into my eyes and you will see what this film <laughs> means to me. <laughs> and on that note, I just want to say my final point is the soundtrack. And I'm not talking about Brian Adams. Uh, forget that. That's neither here nor there. That just plays over the end credits. The soundtrack, the orchestral score to this is sensational. And I, I mean that word sensational. Michael Kamen knocked it out of the park with one of the most stirring scores we saw of the, of the 90s. Absolutely brilliant job with the soundtrack. And I, I stress, I'm not talking about Brian Adams in that instance. The orchestral music <laughs> was brilliant and i'll just round off with you know don't tell me it's not worth fighting for <laughs> i can't help it there's nothing i want more <laughs> oh wow i feel like i was transported back to 1991 when that song <laughs> but i think maybe this is the reason that i haven't watched this film is because that song was top of the charts for about 16 weeks and you literally couldn't escape it no matter yeah. where you went that song was fucking haunting you like a bad <laughs> smell that you couldn't get rid of it I'll be honest like, with you, I was I was four. It really didn't affect my life that much. I didn't it, even notice. It's it affected me in ways that I can't <laughs> comprehend. So, I've just yeah. got to point out as well, not even Brian Adams likes that song. <laughs> he, <laughs> he he hates having to play it live, but he plays it every gig because it's sold so well. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he feels alive. Yeah, he, he hates alive. it all the way to all the way to the bank. All the way to there. the bank. Yeah. <laughs> it's like going to a Chesney Hawks gig and him not playing the one and only. Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna collect my notes here. Dave, would you like to deliver a quiz, please? Yeah, certainly can. And you know, it ties in very well with what we were just talking about. As you know. Brian Adams is everything I do. I do it for you. Spent 16 consecutive weeks at number one of the UK charts. And to be honest, I think it was about 14 or so at the the top of the US charts as well. But with that in mind, this quiz is on songs from films that made it to number one in the UK. And we're going to play a game of higher or lower, where I want you to tell me if they spent more or fewer weeks in the previous film. So we're going to start off with Brian Adams, everything I do, I do it for you. And the next one I'm going to ask you about is Shallow uh, by Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper from A Star Is Born. Mm-hmm. Did it spend uh, more or fewer weeks, higher or lower? Is it lower? It's going to be lower. Do we, in, sorry, in the top 10 or in number one spot? Just a number I don't. I don't care about any other positions that held in the charts. It's got to be it lower. It doesn't matter if they're consecutive yeah, or non-consecutive. I just want weeks at number okay, one. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be lower. Because wasn't that like a record that was unbroken for years, maybe even still is unbroken? Uh, consecutive weeks, it's it's unbroken. Uh, Frankie Lane is actually the biggest. I spent the most time at number one with Believe. But uh, it's up there. So, yeah, we, we got high. <laughs> so, what are we saying? Lower? Lower. Yeah, lower. lower. Of course it's lower. It was only at number one for two weeks. This is where it gets interesting. Amateurs. <laughs> Next one. Uh, Independent Women by Destiny's Child from Charlie's Angels. Oh, I'm saying higher. That was, was a, a big tune. That wasn't it? That was a big, big tune. I'm saying longer as well, yeah. 
It was actually only number one for one week. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Next one, Berlin, Take My Breath Away from 1986's Top Gun. That's got to be longer. Higher? It's got to be longer than one. Yeah. Yeah, That's correct. It oh, okay. It did, it did get to number one, and it was there for four weeks. Next film, Night Fever by the Bee Gees from 1978, Saturday Night Fever. I'm guessing higher longer. or lower? I'm saying higher. I mean higher. I'm going to go lower just because after like once it gets annoying that song so i just think that back in the 70s people just that is it's gonna be a long time getting through this quiz that is a point to joel it was actually only number one for two weeks next one eminem lose yourself from 2002's eight mile lower higher that's a point to gav it was only number one for one week (sighs) next one will smith men in black from the film Men in Black. Oh. Higher. <laughs> it's it's got to be higher just on the amount of times that I listen to that song alone. <laughs> I, I I'm saying higher. Lyrics, like, honestly, like, I, I knew that those lyrics more than I knew the names of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I so, listen to it enough times even now to have kept it at number one. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all saying higher? Yeah, yeah got to be. You are correct. It was number one for four weeks. Four weeks, man. Four weeks. <laughs> In the UK Next charts one. as well, not even In the, the US. UK charts. That's no mad. Next one, uh, share the Shoop Shoop song. It's in his case from the 1991 film Mermaids. Oh, Ooh, I, that was a big higher song. Than f- four weeks are we on? Yeah, four weeks. I'm, I'm saying go higher. higher. I'm saying I'm gonna higher. Say, I'm gonna say lower. That is a point to Joel and Austin. Oh. It was there for five weeks at oh. number one. Wow. Next one, Celine Dion, My Heart Will Go On from 1997's Titanic. Higher. Oh, gotta be higher. Higher. Yeah, higher. That's a point for no one. It was in the charts oh. for ages. It was only number one for two weeks. Uh, yeah. I think the, I think the theme is the, the theme is that like the the more recent we get, the less people are asked. Well, yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that could that could be a theme. And on that note, Pharrell Williams, "Happy" from 2013's "Despicable Me 2. I was saying that that was fucking massive. So I'm guessing. Yeah, long, yeah. but was it just around for a long time? Yeah, it might have been. No, I'm saying no, 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 I'm going to say I'm higher. saying it never made it to number one. I'm, I'm, going, also... I'm going higher. Yeah, and Gav? Higher. That's a point to Joel and Gav. It did get the number oh. one and stayed there for four weeks. Wow, jeez. Next one, Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You from 1992's The Bodyguard. Another Kevin higher. Costner one. Yeah, what a film. I'm saying higher. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting in say... there really early. because <laughs> I'm going sure. to go lower. Oh, no, fuck it, it's the 90s. As we've seen with this song, people will listen to it over and over again. I'm going higher. That is a point at Austin and Gav. It was number one for 10 weeks. Wow. Yeah. Next one, Summer Nights by John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John from 1978. Wow. Oh, it's got to be lower. I'm going higher. I'm going lower. Oh, we're doing consecutive weeks. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, just, just oh. well, yeah, a collective. Oh. Collective oh. Oh, collective number of weeks at number one. I'm saying higher. Lower. Joel? I'm going lower. That's a point to Gavin and Joel. It was number one for only seven weeks. I would have thought it was longer as well. And then finally, Wet, 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 Love is All Around from 1994's Four Weddings and a Funeral. Longer. Much, much longer. That was out of, well, longer than 10 weeks. Oh, how many weeks are we on there? Seven. Seven weeks. Seven. Longer than seven. I remember it being massive, like like the school disco. I'm saying higher. 
I reckon it was it was I think it was number one for about three years, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Not quite three years, but fifteen weeks. Fifteen weeks wow. number one. It is the third after Frankie Lane, after Brian Adams. You got wet, wet, wet tied with Drake. Having spent 15 consecutive weeks, Man, it's more one. than a quarter of the year. <laughs> yes, yeah. The would one. you believe that is mad? Would you believe? Well played, guys. Very well played, and we all learned a little something about film soundtracks. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for that, Dave. Very, very good quiz. As ever, well researched. Thank you. Yes, yes, definitely, and it hasn't given me any time to think about this verdict at all. Oh, I don't know. So looking back through my notes, Joel said that there was a lot of filler within the script, but Dave countered that and said that there was a purpose to this filler because it set the scene and it established characters. Speaking of those characters, I quite like the bit at the end there. I was going to ask the question, but Dave beat me to it about Maid Marion being a damsel in distress. It sounds like she was less of a damsel in distress for once, maybe falls into the old tropes at the end, but she has more of a character than previous iterations of this story. It also sounded like there was a really well-written character of Azim, played by Morgan Freeman. However, the performances on on the whole do sound a little bit questionable, especially Alan Rickman. I don't know. Dave, you said that he was a bit of a standout, but you also mentioned that he almost ran away with it. And that leads me to believe that he was able to do that in the first place and that maybe some of the other performances didn't stand up enough. I mean, at the end of the day, this is an action-adventure film, and it sounds like that it ticks all the right boxes. There seems to be a lot of money spent on this, costumes and sets and the use of practical effects, the big action set pieces, the horses, the sword play. It all sounds good to me. And although I do believe Joel when he says that there are issues with the script and some of the cast and you know maybe some of the action looks a bit dated in today's eyes, it does sound like the action on the whole for the time that it came out more than makes up for the shortfalls. So I think I'm going to place this on the hit list. And um, cue the applause, which I haven't queued up yet. So. Lovely <laughs> 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 stuff. Okay, so I am a bit nervous about this one, to be honest. I'm not going to lie to you. Because, as I said, I haven't seen this film and I've only seen it snippets of it in that music video and it looks shit. I'm not going to lie to you. It, like... <laughs> It does. It does look shit. But I left that. I've left that at the door, right? When I was making the decision, that and I think maybe it was just the Brian Adams bits that were airing me. And I, I, I imagine that there isn't Brian Adams playing in jeans and no top and electric guitar in a waterfall in the film. So maybe we'll get away with it. And I think you quite like to see Brian Adams with a plugged in electric guitar standing under a waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> I get the feeling you'd enjoy that. Okay. So genuine opinions. So I, th- I think, right, Dave, I'm going to go first with you because I, I reckon that you're maybe quite close to what you were what you were saying. Yeah, I adore this film. I absolutely love it. I do think there's a lot of merit to what Joel said, uh, that because I watched it as a kid, maybe I'm looking at it through rose-tinted glasses. I think Joel has a very good point there. But I don't know how to remove those rose-tinted glasses. I've tried. I just adore this film. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't think Kevin Costner's that bad. I think the action is great. Performances are great. Alan Rittman was superb. He did run away with this so much so. I, I alluded to Kevin Costner having a hand in the editing so much so a large part of Alan Rittman's performance wound up on the cutting room floor because Costner felt he was running away My with God. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Costner made a point about that one. Um, but yeah, it was. It's great. It's just great. The action is great. The the cast, the characters, 
this is one of the best adaptations of Robin Hood for me, even with Kevin Costner in the lead role. Okay, next day. And Joel, um, come on, what do, you, what do you think about it? It's hard to put it into words, really. I would put it like just above average, maybe like a six out of ten. Like, I had watched it as a kid, as I said, but I also hadn't watched it for a long time since then. And then watching it back now, like, I was bored. Two and a half hours is a long time for a film like this. There are some, like, cool bits in it and stuff like that. And Alan Rickman is, is, I don't know, like, I I think it's one of them. You have to watch it yourself to get your own opinions of it. Because everybody I ask about it, it's just like, they either love Alan Rickman or they're like, what is that even meant to be? It is very much like pantomime Um so yeah, I think you I think you put it on the right list, but if it had gone the other way, I wouldn't be bothered to be fair. Okay. Thank you very much, Joel. And Ozzy, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see where you fall on this one. So I do remember absolutely adoring this film, thinking it was fantastic. Uh, it forced Katie to um sit down and watch it with me, telling her just how good a film it is. And uh she literally said before we went on. Uh, as soon as the film, fit, but probably even 10 minutes in, she's like, you're going to have a hard time defending <laughs> this. And then made us sit all the way through it. And then she left before we started doing the uh, the podcast and said, uh, good luck, you're going to need it. She absolutely <laughs> hated it. I, I still think it's a good film, but she hated it. She thought it was absolute dog shit. Wow. Just, uh, and I think maybe coming at it, like Joel said, coming at it with fresh eyes. Like she thought Alan Rickman was great. Like, brilliant and again Morgan Freeman thought it was great but just as a as a piece of art yeah yeah it's uh it's dated and, and maybe it isn't as good as I think it is yeah I absolutely hate when that happens there's been so many times where I've sat Siobhan down and said you need to watch this I watched it last about 20 years ago and I remember it being amazing <laughs> and then you put it on and, and you're like oh this is as good as I remember and you look it over and she's like my god what the fuck's he made me watch it <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay, right. So higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was The Suicide Squad, which scored 91% critical, uh, 84% audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm saying lower. Yeah, I think it's, it's got to be, hasn't it? Yeah, Joel? Got to be lower. Like, there's no, if it's higher than 91, I don't even know what we're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> so well, uh, I've only just looked at the scores now because I didn't want that to sway my judgment, but fucking hell, yeah, it's lower. 52% critical. And 72% audience. So it's not as high audience score as I thought it was going to be. Maybe because there's more people like us who really liked it when they were younger and then gone back to watch it years later and gone, what the fuck's this? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know now. I, I really don't want to watch it now. <laughs> no, I, I, think, I, think I'm gonna, I think I'm going to enjoy it just for Alan Rickman's performance alone. So yeah, yeah, we, we, we'll, we'll, we'll see. What I'd like to see, Gav, is next time we have like a halloween party or something if you dress up as alan rickman's character i think <laughs> I'd make I, I, think, I think that for my halloween party this year we'll make it kevin costner themed so <laughs> if, if i go dressed up as alan rickman from robin hood's prince thieves i want alex to pitch up as dennis hopper's character in <laughs> from <Waterworld>. Waterworld. <laughs> all, all he's got to do is buy an eye patch <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so speaking of which, our next film has been pulled out of the hat at random, and it is Shock Horror Waterworld. And all of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So judging Waterworld is going to be Joel. In defense, it's going to be Dave and Alex again. And in prosecution, it's going to be myself and Ozzy. 
And yeah, that's that's it. So I just want to say thank you to all of you for providing very good summaries. And thank you to everybody who has listened to this episode. Really appreciate it. If you want to check out more content, go on filmsontrial.co.uk. Check us out on Apple Podcasts or any streaming platform. Why not leave us a lovely five-star review on Apple Podcasts? Check us out on Twitter, at Film Trials, or Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, Films on Trial. So that is it. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is a hit. Maybe surprisingly, we'll find out next week. But we are going to be directly in your ears next week with Waterworld. Goodbye. You've never seen Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Now, if you've seen Bone Alone, but what? Robin Hood. Well, I mean, because Bone Alone's called Bone Alone. <laughs> <laughs>